He is good, isn't he? And the fact that he doesn't disappoint and let us down is really the, the theme of the message this morning. We're going to look at two folks from a situation that happened with Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus just a few days after his birth in Jerusalem in the temple. And uh, so before we do that, I, I just want to... Um, just say, I hope that, uh, Fran and I both hope that you guys had a great Christmas. I hope that uh, if you had family around, that y'all were able to, to really celebrate and enjoy uh, some sweet time. Uh, if you didn't have family around, that's understandable because of the season that we're in. And sometimes we use technology to help us. Um, sometimes we use FaceTime and other ways to connect. Uh, but uh, it was funny. So uh, Christmas morning, our, we had one daughter with us. Uh, her husband Peter and then our two granddaughters but then the other two daughters just weren't able to make it of course uh, so here's Mary talking on on FaceTime to her siblings and then I'm taking a picture of it because I want to remember the moment you know and that kind of thing but uh, anyway I just hope that these last few days have been a blessing to you guys and, and a true joy as we celebrate the birth of Jesus but what I want to do is uh, continue on with some of this um, understanding of, of uh, just Waiting on the Lord and, and, and how that can be for us um, a time of, of, of great joy instead of disappointment. Uh, so, so we're looking at, if you've got your bulletins and if you're watching online, uh, we're in Luke chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to be reading from verse 25 to 33, but uh, I'm going to kind of preface it in just a moment. So uh, if you've got your um, order of service with you, that's where we're going to be. Uh, but Jesus has, of course, been born and we, we've celebrated that uh, and after eight days in the Jewish tradition, a male child was to be taken before the community of faith, and he, that child would be circumcised. And this was something God told Moses to do. And so every uh, male child had what's called the sign, S-I-G-N, the sign of the covenant, the agreement that God made with humankind. And, and that outward sign was circumcision. And why God chose that, I have no idea. That's not something I'm going to ask him when I get to heaven. You know, Lord, why did you choose circumcision in the Old Testament? I'm not going to go there because it doesn't. But it was very, very significant and very, very important. And um, you knew that you were a part of the covenant people of God if you were male, if that was a part of, of what your experience was. So anyway, on the eighth day, they take Jesus and they, and they have him circumcised. Uh, they give him the name Jesus, and that's a part of the tradition. And then 33 days after his birth... According to Leviticus 12, that firstborn male was to be presented to the Lord, and he was holy. He was set apart. He was, uh, that's what that word holy means, to be set apart, to be sanctified for the use of God. And so on the 33rd day uh, of Jesus' life, his parents were going to Jerusalem, to the temple, to do this purification for Mary. After 33 days, uh, if, if it was a baby boy, then, then the, the mother would be presented and, and could be able to uh, participate in worship and things like that again. If it was a female, if the first child was a female, then, then it was 66 days, if I think that's correct. Uh, so after that time, she would come and, the, and they would pur she would be purified and the mother could come and, and be a part of the worshiping community. So this is kind of where we are now. So it's been 33 days since Jesus was born. Uh, they're not in Bethlehem anymore. They're in Jerusalem. They've gone to the temple. They've offered the, uh, the sacrifices there, and they met with the priest, and, and Mary is fine to come and worship and that type of thing from that time on. So when they're in the temple, 
then you're introduced to this man named Simeon, and it's a, it's a sweet um, situation here. So let's look at verse 25, and it says, this is Luke chapter 2, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was a righteous and devout man. He was looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him that the, by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Christ, or the Lord's anointed, or the Lord's Messiah. And he came in the Spirit in the temple, and when his parents brought Jesus, uh, the child, uh, they carried him and to fulfill the custom of the law. Uh, Simeon took Jesus in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared for, uh, in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. So here's Simeon. He's a godly man. He's a devout man. Uh, we don't know how old Simeon is, but here's what God tells him. He said, you're going to live long enough to see Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, the one that I have promised from long ago, you're going to see this baby. You're going to see this child born before you depart and come to be with me for eternity. And so Simeon doesn't know how long this is going to be. And so he's having to wait. He's having to wait. He's having to wait. And so um, sometimes it's very difficult for us to wait, isn't it? I mean, if we want something and we want it now, it's very difficult to, to have patience. It's very difficult to wait. Um, there's been lots of comments made about our culture because we've created things and invented things to make our life go quicker or, or tasks to, to happen more frequently. Uh, everything from microwaves, I mean, all this kind of stuff. And so you, you see somebody, you know, you know, tapping their hand or tapping their foot, waiting on that microwave to heat something up as opposed to building a fire and then heating it up or putting it on a stove. I mean, we're just so used to things happening so quickly. So patience is not something that we tend to, to, to have as a virtue many times, but waiting can be very difficult. Uh, so Simeon, we don't know how long he's going to wait, uh, but we do know, and because of his faith in God, he knew that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. And so when Mary and, and Joseph were there in the temple with baby Jesus, um, Simeon says, wow. And then the Holy Spirit must have spoken to his heart and said, this is the one. And so when he takes Jesus in his arms and he, and he begins to proclaim what I just read, uh, that, that Simeon knows he can now go to heaven in peace, that Jesus is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel, we know that Simeon has insight into who Jesus is. The glory to the Gentiles is very important, or the, the, the light to the, to the Gentiles, because that's you and me. We, didn't, we weren't born into the Jewish tradition. We, we aren't Jews by lineage. Most of us aren't. I don't know anybody in here that is, or maybe people watching online. But it's, it's like we have been grafted in through faith in Christ. We are that Gentile population uh, that weren't a part of the promised people uh, in the Old Testament. So uh, it's very important for us to realize that Jesus came, that all that might come and, and know the Lord. Then we're introduced to this lady named Anna. And if we keep reading, uh, we find out that Anna is a woman who God uses to prophesy, verse 36 of chapter 2. Uh, she was married, and she only was living with her husband for seven years until her husband passed away. And then she had been, from that time on, uh, a widow. She never remarried, and we find out that she spent most of her time in the temple. She would fast, she would pray, she would serve, 
And so I, I kind of did some speculation, and it's like, okay, so most of the young girls were married sometime in their teens back then. So let's say she was uh, 16 when she got married, which was not uncommon. Now, in our culture, in the Western world, girls don't get married at 16 most of the time because we want them to finish high school, and then many of them, we want them to continue their education, so they'll go off to college, and, and sometime in that period of time, some of them will start meeting the guys that they want to get married, and some girls get married at 16, but it's just more, um, it's rare, more rare in our culture uh, today. So, um, but anyway, in that culture, many girls were being married in their teens, no, no question about it. So she was married for seven years, so let's say she was 16. She was married for seven years, that means when she was 23 years old, her husband passed away, and now she's 86, right? So how many years is that? Y'all do the math. How many? Yeah. So for 63 years, she just dedicated herself, devoted herself to serving God. Now, she could have gotten remarried. There wouldn't have been anything wrong with that. Uh, but her choice was, I'm going to spend time, I'm going to dedicate myself, I'm going to just pour myself into serving and, and doing what God, I think God would want me to do. And so that's a long time. Over 60 years, she is just spending time serving and in the temple, uh, praying. She's fasting. She's, you know, uh, she's just probably one of those people that, that you think, wow, that, that's a saint right there. Not that she didn't have other interests, okay? It's not that she couldn't do something else, she, you know, but that's what she chose to do. And then when she sees the Lord, she begins to proclaim, basically, when she sees Jesus, she begins to proclaim uh, great things about him because God had revealed to her um, who he was as well. Uh, but waiting, waiting is, is so difficult to do, and that's what Simeon was doing, and that's what Anna was doing. She was in the temple waiting, praying, serving, that type of thing. Uh, there's a passage in Proverbs um, when we put our hope in something and it doesn't happen uh, we call that hope being deferred. In uh, Proverbs 13, 20, 12 says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is the tree of life. Simeon put his hope and got the promises of God. He said, I know that at one point in my life I'm going to be able to see the, the Lord's Messiah. And that's where his hope was. And anytime you and I put our hope in God and in the promises of God, we know, as we just sang, he will never let us down. Because God is good, God is faithful, God is trustworthy. And anytime we put our hope in something else, many times it doesn't happen. And because of that not happening, then, then our heart gets sick, our heart uh, feels bad. We, we have these emotions of disappointment and discouragement. Um, you guys uh, like to joke about the fact that if you're an Atlanta Falcons fan, you're going to you know, be disappointed and that kind of thing. And, and other you know, references to sporting teams that let you down and your hope was that they might win the championship or they would win this game or whatever it might be. Uh, your hope uh, in people, when we put our hope in people many times, we're disappointed because there's no one who's perfect except Christ alone and God the Father. And so, so anytime we put our hope in something else, we have this potential to be disappointed because it's not going to happen. It's not going to be fulfilled but anytime we put our hope in God, we know that we will not be disappointed. And that's why Psalm 130, verse 7 says this, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord is unfailing in his love, and with him is full redemption. So where do we need to place our hope? Where do we need to put our hope? In God and in his promises. And that's what Simeon did, and that's what we need to do. Now, it's nothing wrong with, with putting some hope in something else, but we need to realize that it might not happen. And uh, there's a, a minister out in, in Oregon that uh, we, we heard speak at a conference a couple of years back. I think it was a Catalyst conference in Atlanta. His name is John Mark Comer. 
and uh, and Fran has really been following him. She she really likes. Uh, he's, he's got a teaching ministry, and uh, so she listens to a lot of this. And so she got this quote, and I'm borrowing it because she's preaching this in the traditional. I'm going to use it here in contemporary. But uh, John Mark Comer talks about the fact that that when we wait many times, uh, and our hope gets deferred, that uh, what can happen to us is deep disappointment. What can happen to us. Uh, is, is, is just the robbing of, of joy. And then he says this, but what if disappointment was an emotional signal from our body telling us that our hope was in the wrong object? So when we're disappointed with something not happening, maybe that's a signal saying, really, you put your hope in something that is going to disappoint, that can disappoint. So instead of letting it rob us of our joy, we just need to realize we put our hope in something uh, that... Uh, it can disappoint. And then he said this, instead of simply believing the thief, which is the disappointment, what if disappointment was actually an invitation to recalibrate uh, our heart, revealing the unhealthy uh, attachments and the idols that are in our life? So this idea of anytime we're disappointed, maybe it's a time to recalibrate our heart and say, Lord, what, what did I do? I put my trust in this. Or Lord, why didn't I put my hope in you? Uh, and it's an opportunity when we experience disappointment to maybe reevaluate uh, where we're putting our trust, where we're putting our hope, where we're, where we're focusing on to get joy. Because when we put our hope, our trust, our faith in anything but God, we have that potential to be disappointed. Now, we can always put our hope and trust in other things as well, but, but we have to know in the back of our mind that there's a good chance this might not happen. Uh, and so then he goes on to say this, hope as we understand in Scripture is the expectation of coming good based on the person and promises of God. So when we truly put our hope in God and what God promises, what God's Word says, then we know because of God's personality, as we say, God is good. He's never going to let us down. Those are qualities that God has. That's not going to change. Um, and so that's how we know for sure that we won't be disappointed. And then it says this, in the Scriptures there are stories, um, and really the heritage of our faith is that is upon people that wait uh, and the invitation that we have uh, is to hope in the one who fulfills his promises uh, I want to share with you one of those examples and that is Abraham and I've talked about Abraham in this context before but to me it's a very powerful illustration of Abraham putting his hope in God not in anything else and so when when what God promised didn't happen and it didn't happen it didn't happen he didn't get discouraged he didn't get deported he just knew that at some point it was going to happen and it did happen so uh, the context here is in, in Romans chapter 4, and, and the writer's talking about faith, and it's talking about hope and those kind of things. And then he reminds us of Abraham, the father of our faith, and he says this. Basically, that when Abraham was promised he was going to be the father of a nation uh, and a multitude of people, he was 75 years old when God made that promise to him. 75 years old. And then it goes on to say this. Um, Just as it is written, the father of many nations have I made you. In the sight of him, God, whom he, Abraham, believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls on the being that which does not, not exist, verse 18 of chapter 4, in hope against hope he believed, in order that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he, Abraham, contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, yet with respect to the, in the deadness of Sarah's womb, Yet with respect to the promise of God, he, Abraham, did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith 
giving glory to God, being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. To me, you know, Abraham was a great example of a lot of different things, but especially in the area of hope, especially in the area of faith. And that's why the writer here in Romans, Paul, is talking about Abraham. He said this, basically, Abraham was given a promise when he was 75 years old, and God was faithful to that promise. But God didn't fulfill that promise until Abraham was 100 years old. So that's 25 years that Abraham had to wait until God fulfilled the promise. So what Abraham didn't do, he didn't, he didn't get mad at God and say, God, you know, it's been five years. You haven't given me this son. And then you know the story about Ishmael being born when Abraham's about 86. And, and it, God said, no, this is not the son that I promised you. Sarah is going to bear you a son, and you're going to name him, you know, and he named him Isaac. But, uh, but of course, Ishmael was born of Sarah's servant. But the bottom line is this, 25 years pass. 25 years pass, and God is faithful, and God fulfills his promise. But Abraham, what did he do in those 25 years? Without becoming weak in faith, even though he understood the circumstance, he became stronger in his faith in God. He became more convinced that God is faithful instead of doing the opposite, and that is saying, well, God, you must not be real, or God, there must not be a God, or maybe that wasn't God who spoke to me. Maybe it was just my thoughts, or maybe it was a, you know, um, whatever it might have been, that, that I was misled. No, God spoke to him. He knew that, and God was faithful for 25 years. So my encouragement is as we wait, as we, as we trust in God, Abraham, for me, is this great example. And even though, hopefully, you're not going to have to wait 25 years for something, but if we do, we know that God is faithful. God will come to pass. It will come to pass as God has said it. Um, and so to me, some of these promises that God makes or some of these words of exhortation you might not know what the end result is going to be. For instance, forgive people. You might not say, well, Mark, that person doesn't want, to, doesn't want me to forgive them, hasn't asked me to forgive them, but God says, no, I want you to forgive them. I want you to release that person in your heart. I don't want you to have anger toward them. I don't want you to have bitterness toward them. I don't want you to have resentment toward them. I don't want you to see them, and in your mind you just go, oh, I hate that person. No, I want you to forgive. I want you to release Vengeance is mine, saying the Lord, I will repay. So God's going to right every wrong. But the bottom line is he says forgive. And you might say, well, God, I don't know why you would want me to do that. God knows, and we need to forgive. And so part of me is not, not only do we trust God when he makes a promise, but we trust God in the things that he says we are to do. Even though it might not make sense to us, even though we might not want to do that, for us, it's, it's just like Abraham waiting 25 years for the fulfillment of the promise. We do what God asks us to do. We live the way God wants us to live because that is the best way to live. But also, there's fulfillment of all of the good that God wants for us. Uh, so as we read the scriptures, as we look at the teachings of Jesus, as we understand what the Bible says, and we live that out, then, then the promises of God are yes and amen. But we have to live them out. Let me conclude with a, with a story that... Uh, I heard years ago, actually, that Fran told, she, we, when we were in seminary, um, Fran had this friend, the, the, the friend was a preacher kid, you know, she grew up, uh, his dad was a minister, and, um, and one day they were sitting around talking, and uh, she told Fran this story, she said, you know, the church I grew up in, uh, all of the older people in that church were either, one, very sweet, very kind, very gentle, very loving or they were kind of mean, and she used the word crotchety and just, just hard to get along with. And it was like two extremes. 
And she asked her dad, who was the minister of the church, she said, you know, Dad, why do these old people, why are they either, either, either nice and kind and like the greatest saints of old, or, you know, why are they just mean and just hard to get along? And let me quote what the daddy said. He said this, as people age, they become more of who they are. It seems that as we age, we become more difficult uh, to pretend to be someone that we are not. So his observation is, as we age, we, we just become more of who we are, for good or for bad. And that's what she experienced. She said, you know, there's some people that they were good and kind and, and nice, and they became more of that. They were more kind, more good, more, you know, that kind of thing. But the folks that weren't, they began to gravitate toward the other extreme, and that was they were, you know, more difficult to get along with. Uh, and, and his observations was, we just become more of who we are. And my thought is, yeah, that's true, but for the believer, what we want to do is, is, is to be more and more like Jesus. So the older we get, we want God to continue to work on us. And so maybe when we're 40, we're not very Christ-like, but when we're 45, we're a little bit more like Jesus. And then when we turn 50, because we've surrendered more of ourselves and we're obeying God like we were talking about earlier, we begin to become more like Christ. So by the time we get older, as this teenager observed, we are the sweetest, most saintly, most godly people that you would come around because we've allowed the Holy Spirit to work on us and to convict us. And that's one of the things that we want to make sure we're doing is letting God make us more like Christ each and every day. Um, but the folks that aren't letting God do that, folks that aren't orienting themselves to God, they haven't put their hope in Christ that one day when we do die, we are going to be with him. And so we want to be as Christ-like as we can be. That's not their orientation. But those people... Yeah, they become more difficult, more uh, angry. They, they become more short-tempered short and that kind of thing. And, and, uh, and, and you would hope that wouldn't be the case, but it is the case. I was in the doc and, I, and I'll give you an example as I close, but I was in the doctor's office the other day. Uh, you know, they give you blood. They do blood work with my doctor one week, and then the next week they come back and tell you how you're doing, all that kind of stuff. So I was sitting in the office, and I was waiting to go get my blood work done. And this guy was leaving from having seen the doctor or whatever doctor was in that group. Um, and I could overhear the conversation, and, and so the lady behind the desk said, well, when would you like to make your next appointment? And this guy said, yesterday. And she said, yesterday? He goes, yeah, let's make it yesterday. And his tone, and so I kind of looked up, and I looked at the guy. I was like, so Max, I was checking this dude out. You know, I was like, man, you, you, you know, his tone was mean, and he was, you know, and, so, and she goes, well, you know, uh, how about someday in the future? And he, he said, Oh, I don't care. Whenever you want to do it, why don't we do it Christmas Eve? And she said, well, sir, we're not going to be here Christmas Eve. He said, well, why not? And he said, she said, well, you know, because we're, we're off that day. So, all right, well, let's do it. So, you know, so he, and then she said, well, what, what time? So they, they decided on a day. I'm just checking this dude out. You know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, why are you being so mean? Uh, and then she said, well, what time would you like to come in? What would be your preference? And she goes, he said, 1 o'clock in the morning. And she said, well, sir, you know. There won't be anybody here at 1 o'clock in the morning. He goes, why not? He says, I'm up at 1 o'clock in the morning. Why aren't you going and, and she, But she was kind. She was nice. And I just thought, what is up with this dude, man? I don't know what, what his deal is. You know, why is he so, as, as Fran, Fran said, crotchety? Why is he so irritable? Why is he so, I don't know his story. But, but this young lady saw two extremes. And it doesn't always have to be that way. But as we're waiting on the promises, as we're waiting on God to work in our lives, my hope is for all of us 
that we will be more Christ-like at the end of this year coming up than we are today. As I'm looking out, I see you guys. I know you guys, y'all are, y'all are Christ-like. Y'all are sweet. Y'all are good people. Y'all have a heart, a tender heart. Um, you're wanting to be more like Christ. You're not going the other direction. But as we continue to wait on God's goodness, as we continue to let God work on us, I'm hoping that next year when I look out over the crowd, and hopefully we won't be wearing the mask, hopefully we won't have to social distance, all those will be in another place, but you will be sweeter, more Christ-like, more loving, more patient, because we've had a year of letting God work on us. Amen.